listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Tuesday, the 28th of September 2021. Uh, Later, $36 billion wiped from the value of our top 200 listed companies, but first to retail and consumers look like they are primed to change their spending habits as restrictions ease across the country. The Australian Bureau of Statistics said retail sales did fall 1.7% in August. That's the third straight month of decline. But to explain that in more detail, I spoke earlier with Joe Masters. She is the Chief Economist of EY Oceania. Joe, we've seen three consecutive declines in retail sales. What does this say about trading conditions at the moment? It's tough. And that's not really a surprise. We know that when we lock down and we've got our two biggest cities locked down, that conditions are really hard particularly for services, for spending on hairdressers and cafes and gyms and the like. And again, what we've seen this time, though, is a lot of spending on food, but a big decline in spending uh, eating at restaurants and cafes. You say in your note that retailers are going to have to find a new normal because it seems like the rush on household goods, for example, has eased dramatically. To what extent? We've seen a big shift there. So when the pandemic first hit, we saw a big surge in spending on making your home more comfortable to spend more time in. Home renovations, playstations, bread makers and air fryers, new furniture and the like. The reality is so that for most of those goods, you only buy them once in a while. And we seem to have sort of got through that pace. We've actually seen spending on household goods fall for four consecutive months now. And I think as restrictions ease, we're going to see people want to get out and spend on domestic travel and arts and recreation and the like. So I think there's a challenge there for household retailers that have had real boom time conditions. So more on that, where do you think that new normal will be? I think it's too early to tell. And I think that's true of a lot of things in the pandemic. We're still working through Do people want to uh, live further away from their home? How many days will be normal in the office? How much time will I be spending um, at home? Do I want to replace the domestic travel that I've done with overseas travel and really ramp that up in the next few years? Look, my guess is it'll be two or three years before we really see where these trends settle. If people are spending less money in the retail sector, what are they doing with their money? So there's a couple of things happening there. Um, Importantly, households are saving. Uh, We can see that in the household savings rate, which is up around 11% of disposable income. There's about $167 billion sitting in bank accounts by households more than there was pre-pandemic. So we're saving a lot because we can't spend on some of the things that we want to spend. We have seen households spending a lot, as we discussed, on household goods, but that's starting to come to an end. Um, So it is really that savings and that will be important how consumers choose to spend that as restrictions ease. And is there anything in these numbers that give you confidence that when restrictions ease, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne or New South Wales and Victoria, that retailers will benefit and the economy will bounce back? But the encouraging thing in the August data is the two states that had no lockdown in that period, Western Australia and South Australia, saw retail sales rise. So that suggests that this household savings, confidence in our ability to get through these lockdowns, consumers haven't gone away, they're just hibernating. 
What I do think will be important, though, is as we ease restrictions, I don't think we'll spend on what we did last time around. I think it really will be concentrated in that services sector. So you might be receiving a ticket to a concert instead of a PlayStation for Christmas. Joe Masters there from EY. Let's now go to the Australian share market, which fell the S&P ASX 200 down by 1.47%, 7,275. For more, I spoke earlier with Marjabeen Zaman from City. Marjabeen, the market's down today. Why? Well, Aussie markets are softer today, leading from softer global markets overnight. Um, there is a lot of uncertainty and event risk in the US this week on the back of their fiscal budget, debt ceiling, um, slowing economic data, um, along with the slowing of the US, uh, of the Chinese economy, given their regulatory clampdowns on various sectors, and not forgetting, obviously, the news around the Evergrande defaulting. Now, looking at the ASX today, uh, only energy and financials are up. Energy from record high oil prices overnight, rent crude above 80, which is testing 2018 highs, and financials on the back of higher bond yields this week. Now, the rest of the sectors are bleeding, particularly the resources sector, which has been beaten down given the recent collapse in iron ore prices and in general, the big question mark around Chinese macro situation and slowing economic growth in the US. Having said all of that, domestic drivers in Australia remain positive. Today, we saw weekly consumer confidence numbers higher than last month on the back of, I guess, easing restrictions potentially in a few weeks. And we also saw the retail numbers where consensus was expecting a minus 2.7%. But in effect, the number that came out was minus 1.7. So lesser than expected, negative though, but it still means that despite lockdowns, consumer demand is slightly just improving. Let's break up some of the, um, those points that you made. The, how serious is the market taking the possibility of another US government shutdown? And what are the possible implications? Well, attention this week is on U.S. fiscal deliberations and the prospect of a short U.S. government shutdown. Now, I think there are two things at play today. Number one, that's the debt ceiling. Now, the debt ceiling in the U.S. is the total amount of money that the U.S. government is authorized to borrow to meet its existing legal obligations. Now, a failure by Congress to raise the debt limit would cause the government to default. Now, interestingly, the U.S. has raised or suspended the so-called debt ceiling 86 times in the past 80 years without serious economic consequences. So the key takeaway is that despite finger pointing in the political space, um, Congress in both parties always have recognized that it's necessary to serve the nation's legal obligations. And as a result, uh, as we have seen historically, the debt ceiling issue is not going to move markets much. However, the second point, We've got a government shutdown due on the 1st of October, and that is really dependent on the government deadline uh, on the 30th of September, where Congress has to pass a bill to fund the government's fiscal 2022 year initiatives. Now, failure to do so will shut down the government, closing all non-essential operations. Now, once again, looking back at previous occasions, this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, in, on similar occasions such as this, the average shutdown has just lasted only eight days. And during those average, you know, eight days shutdown over the past, I would say, 50 years or so, um, the return on the S&P 500 was essentially flat. So again, we're not overly concerned at this stage. The other point you made earlier was that about Evergrande, but we seem to be hearing less about it over the past few days. Were its problems and impact of contagion overstated, or is it still something that concerns you? 
Look, I think initially when the news first came out, global investors were worried that the Chinese authorities would sacrifice growth uh, by squeezing the real estate sector to a point of a broadening spillover. However, as we speak, a plan appears to be in the making. Uh, and also one thing to note, one of the, I guess the major exposure of Evergrande is in its local currency, the CNY. And interestingly, we have not seen a massive spillover impact in the currency as yet. Uh, in addition, market is convinced that the Chinese uh, policymaker has a lot of tools within their toolbox in the event there is a contagion. Now, they've already initiated a rate easing cycle to combat the slowing economy. And if need be, a further few rate cuts would only just inject uh, massive liquidity into the system to bring on stability. So all in all, uh, markets are closely watching uh, Chinese policy actions. But at this stage, we continue to believe that the Chinese authorities have the ability and desire to limit economic weakness. Now, the Australian share market also saw some big moves in the resources space. Here's Marja Bean once again. Uh, but for INR, all I'll say is that INR has fallen from highs of 230 in May uh, down to lows of 94. Now, even at a price of 94, many producers are still profitable. So at this stage, you know, we think our, our local names are still going to be okay in the next year. In fact, our expectation for 2022 is for iron ore to average around 106, so above that 94 mark. Now, the material sector particularly is trading at its cheapest level relative to the market um, due to, I guess, China's intervention in commodity prices and production cuts. But we feel like these production cuts in China are only going to be till Q1 next year. Uh, for the winter until probably the in line with the Winter Olympics in, in Beijing, after which we expect production cuts to be loosened once again. Uh, we also are expecting uh, steel prices to eventually be supported after this uh, temporary slowdown from a combination of seasonal restocking near term and better steel demand. Finally, we also feel that you know lower and sustainable sustainable base metal prices. Um, will be offset by higher coal prices. So mark-to-market earnings stability could affect result in higher earnings um, into early next year. Just finally, given the environment, as we start to enter a rising interest rate environment where the US will start tapering stimulus, where do you see the opportunities? Um, as we move to a more of, I guess, a mid-cycle economic environment, we're trying to retain a more of a quality bias, which tends to reduce portfolio drawdowns and manage to capture the upside while the economic expansion continues. Now, within this space, we're looking at three sectors. The first is the high quality factor, uh, which is really focusing on companies which um, raise their dividends more consistently um, within their industry. Secondly, uh, we are overweight healthcare and we have been for an extended period of time. We feel like this sector is an unstoppable trend which is also least speculative. Now, some driving factors behind healthcare really include aging uh, global demographics. As you know, one in six persons globally will be over 65 years old in 2050. So we need to actually plan for investment in that healthcare infrastructure ahead of time. Similarly, uh, as we've seen with the pandemic, speed of innovation has increased massively as seen by record pace of vaccine approvals with the pandemic driving this sector further. So finally, we also like financials because financials are effectively key beneficiaries uh, of rising yields. And so ahead of the Fed tightening views, financials are the way to go as well. Marshall Bain Zaman there from City. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast 
should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.